Welcome to the Sharkpreneur Podcast with Kevin Harrington and Seth Green. Kevin Harrington is the inventor of the infomercial, one of the original sharks from the hit TV show Shark Tank, and has generated over $5 billion in TV and digital direct response sales. Seth Green is the world's first trusted authority on cutting-edge direct response marketing, a best-selling author, and the only three-time Marketer of the Year nominee. On the podcast, Kevin and Seth interview sharkpreneurs who share straight talk on what it takes to explode your business. Why do so many businesses struggle while others seem to explode overnight? Do you wish you had the secret to this type of exponential growth? Now, I've scaled more than 20 businesses to over $100 million, and it's not just luck. In my new book with Mark Tim, Mentor to Millions, you'll learn the repeatable framework I use in all my business ventures for massive success. Order at KevinMentor.com and get over $1,000 in bonuses. Head to KevinMentor.com. Welcome to the Sharkpreneur Podcast. This is your co-host, Seth Green. With me, as always, is the inventor of the infomercial and the original shark on the hit TV show Shark Tank, Kevin Arrington. Kevin, thanks so much for joining us. Hey, Seth. Great to be here. Special guest today. Looking forward to our, our program. Yes, we have a very special guest today, Chris Reuter, the CEO and founder of Spikeball. Spikeball's appearance on Shark Tank was voted one of the best episodes of all time. Chris started the business in 2008. Five years later, it was over a million dollars in annual sales. And we're going to talk about how far it's come since then. Chris, thanks so much for joining us. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Our pleasure. So Spikeball was actually a kid's game back in the 1980s, but 20 years later, you relaunched it and uh, started from nothing and have grown to over $25 million. You know, walk us through that. <laughs> I'm just as shocked as anybody in that. Um, but yeah, so uh, it, it was originally around, I think, in 1989, 1990, something like that. I was a teenager at the time. Some of my buddies uh, picked one up at a toy store and we kind of fell in love with it and played it on and off over the years and people would ask us about it and they'd ask where they could get one and we're like, uh, we think they stopped making it, but we're not really sure. And um, enough people asked us that where, you know, the light bulb went off and we started wondering, huh, I wonder if we could bring this thing back. Um, so that's what we did in 2008. Me and some friends chipped in and started the business and... Um, yeah, everything had been expired. So it was pretty much a, a dead brand and product by then. And um, yeah, I ran it for about five years on my own. And then 2013, uh, we hit a million dollars in annual sales with zero full-time employees. And at that time, my wife and I agreed it was safe for me to quit the day job and go full-time. So Very cool. Well, so, so Chris, wh wh where are you now with Spikeball on a global basis? What, what's your footprint? Yeah, we're in, I don't know the total number of countries, but it is dozens of countries. So um, U.S. is still by far our strongest market, um, but Europe is growing very fast for us. South America is growing very fast. Um, Australia is growing fast. And the cool thing about the international, it's not like we just kind of said, hey, guys, wouldn't it be cool if we started selling overseas? It was us responding to demand. You know, Australia is a perfect example we noticed we were getting sales from there and people were spending like nearly a hundred dollars in shipping for a $60 product. Um, and we're like, okay, people must really want this if they're looking to spend that kind of money. So 
we found a third-party warehouse there, and there were some hardcore players over there that wanted to start help selling. So we partnered with them. And, you know, when that shipping charge went from $100 down to, I don't know, $10 or $20, uh, which is still high, but um, sales just went through the roof there. And then, you know, same thing in South America, same thing in Europe, et cetera. So um, there's a lot of people knocking on our doors all over the world saying, hey, we're into this. Can we get one? And we're just doing everything we can to try and support that, that demand that's there. So now you've got this distribution network set up on a global basis. And at this point, it sounds like Spikeball is, is, is Spikeball kind of 100% of your revenues? Or do you envision that you've got this distribution and you have the ability to maybe plug some new things into this network of distributors that you've got? Yeah, we definitely have the ability to put other products in sort of that, that supply chain we've built. Um, and we've considered it over the years. And when I talk to my mentors and other people that are much smarter than me, like Chris, you have so much more opportunity with spike ball, you know, it's still this kind of niche, but fast growing thing, focus, focus, focus. Um, so I'd imagine we'll eventually probably get into other things. I don't know how long from now that is, but, um, yeah, demand is still so incredibly strong for spike ball. I'd be nervous about, you know, going into some other areas anytime soon. You mentioned people, the consumer demand knocking down your door. You probably had offers to buy the company. Shark Tank wasn't your only potential acquisition and investor. How do you manage that? Yeah, so I, I get a couple of those per year and, you know, I, I, I ignore most of them, but if the person reaching out seems interesting or if I think I can learn something, you know, I'll, I'll have the conversation with them. Um, sometimes it's to invest, others it's to outright acquire. And um, I don't know, I'm having a lot of fun and I think our team's having a lot of fun and my, I'm nervous about if, if I were to sell you know, that, that of course means somebody else is in charge and they may not want to run the business or grow the sport the way that we do. And, um, you know, I, I quit my job because I didn't want a boss. I, I enjoy making decisions and kind of working with a team and coming, you know, together for whatever the decision may be. Um, and at Spikeball, we run things in a very, very unconventional way. And I got a feeling if somebody were to buy us, they'd probably look at our product and say, oh, it's a plastic net, a rubber ball. It's in a box in a store. It's just like everything else out there. And we're just going to apply our formula to that. Hmm. And I think that may be the beginning of uh, a potential down, downturn for us. So that's, that's what I'm a bit nervous about. So th tell me about your, your Shark Tank experience. What, what was it? Um, did you enjoy it? Um, I think there, were, you, you, there was a deal that came together, didn't happen. Tell, tell us yep. about that. Yeah, it was a fantastic experience. So, you know, I think I, like most people that have been on the show, get a decent amount of emails from kind of strangers that are considering the show or getting ready to go on it. And almost all of them, I say, yes, absolutely do it. It'll be a great experience. And, you know, make sure you do your homework. You know, the people that sort of get eaten by the sharks, I think are for the most part, people that just haven't done their homework and they haven't prepared for it. So I don't want to be harsh, but I think they kind of deserve <laughs> what they got. Yeah. Um, but yeah, all the, all the sharks were super cool. Uh, we did uh, do a deal with Damon John on the show. Um, yeah. Fell apart after, after the, uh, after the fact, um, which is interesting though, you know, we filmed in 
I don't know, October of 2014, but we didn't actually air until May of 2015. So it was like seven, eight months. Right. Um, and the deal was dead maybe four months be before the show aired. Mm. Um, but, you know, I designed that sheet of paper that basically says, you know, if you, you can't say a word to anybody about what happens on the show. So I had to remain tight lipped about everything until the show aired. Right. Uh, but, you know, and I didn't even tell my family wh whether a deal happened or anything, but, you know, and, you know, um, but, you know, Damon, I think his main interest in Spikeball was to do a licensing deal. You know, he said right. something like the lines of, Chris, I've got friends at Marvel Comics. Let's make a Spider-Man branded yeah. set. Right. Uh, you know, I, I wanted to pick the brain of the Damon John that built FUBU and, you know, built this brand and, you know, built his own thing from the ground up. And, um, you know, I'm, uh, that's what I'm hoping to do with Spikeball, build it as its own brand and build our own thing. I didn't want to necessarily do a licensing deal. So I think that's kind of what ended it. Um, I don't think there's hard, uh, hard feelings on either side. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was funny. We never really officially called off the deal. We just kind of stopped calling each other. So right. Uh, as some relationships go, uh, gotcha. but overall it was a fantastic experience. Very positive. Is, is there a TV show in the, in the future of spike ball or you know, on a global basis? Cause you know, with, with, with the pandemic that's happening, sports, they are back now. And, yeah. you know, the, you know, I'm just wondering if there's ever uh, an opportunity like that for you. Yeah. So we've been working with ESPN for two, maybe almost three years now. So they broadcast some of our tournaments. Uh, they've been fantastic. Um, and they, like most sports properties or broadcasters, I believe right now are really hurting and just need as much content as possible. Um, so we've had to cancel all of our tournaments, you know, this past weekend, Labor Day weekend, was supposed to be our first ever world championship taking place in Belgium. We're going to have dozens of countries registered, you know, hopefully over a thousand people. And we had to cancel it, unfortunately. But we have been doing some smaller scale events, wanting to make sure that we're safe with COVID-19 and all that. But um, we are still in talks with ESPN about um, producing some stuff like that on the smaller scale events. And uh, so, yes, we're, we're working on that. And um, I think there's a lot of opportunity for some really interesting content here. So that, that segues into my next question. You're in kind of a unique position because you're developing the sport and running, trying to run leagues while providing the sports equipment. So that'd be like if Spalding owned the NBA. So how do you manage that dynamic? What, how does that work? Yeah, it, it's a difficult one in that, um, you know, most people do think that spike ball is the name of the sport. And, you know, 99% of people out there that have heard of us, I think, consider that. But actually, the name of the sport is round net. Um, so we did have to come up with that term to help protect, protect the tra trademark and just to kind of let people know that there is a separation here, right? Spalding is not the name of a sport. They make uh, basketballs. For the sport of basketball so spike ball makes equipment for the sport of round net um so we had to separate those two i got to know the former cmo at uh rollerblade she's the one that came up with inline skates mm -hmm. or the term inline skating so we had to separate the two there um and yeah the mission of the company is to create the next great global sport so as long as that's our mission uh, yes, we need to find as many people just having fun in their backyard with their friends as possible, but we also need to try and graduate some of those folks from backyard fun to actually competition and training and really, you know, upping their game. So it, it's sort of this interesting uh, uh, sort of uh, 
pyramid we've got people working from, you know, dip their toe in the water just by having fun with their buddies. But then a few of those people will say, you know what, I'm pretty good at this. I want to actually start trying to get some sponsors. I'm going to travel all over the country and try and become uh, the best or travel all over the world to become the world's best. Do do you, uh, and when you expand like country to country, do you do partnerships? Are you doing affiliate relationships, licensing, franchising? What's the legal structure of what you do? Yeah, so the legal structure for the most part, we're still doing everything on our own. We did just start working with our first ever distributor in Europe. So they're helping get in uh, more stores. Um, on the competition side, most tournaments outside of the U.S., we don't run. They're run by local players. So, and we love that. Like, you know, they, you know, if you look at a tournament, I don't know, in Chile, um, we don't have a huge following down there. We don't have friends and family there that we can call and say, hey, come, come to our tournament. But all the players down there, they sure do. So we basically, our relationship with them is, you guys go ahead and run the tournament as you see fit. Let us know how we can help you. Is it some flags and tents and banners? Is it helping with ranking or helping you with software to run the tournament, helping promote it? Um, We're more than happy to jump in the backseat there and let them sort of run things. Got it, got it. You've you've achieved an immense amount of success. What's your biggest challenge now? Um, I'm just nervous I'll screw it up. Um, So as long as we keep the players and the community top of mind, that's kind of what we've been doing since day one. As long as we keep them top of mind, I think we'll be in good shape. If we start letting the bottom dollar drive absolutely everything, then we'll get in some trouble. Like, you know, our our tournament business, uh, we spend a significant amount of money on that. And if we're lucky, we may break even on it, but usually we're losing money on it. But we have no real way to measure the return and how, uh, how much goodness is coming from that. So if we had a CFO that said, hey, guys, we don't have a clear return on that. So let's just eliminate all expenses. You know, some other, some, somebody else running this company may actually make that decision. But in my heart of hearts, I know that there's value there. And the mission of, this, of the company is to create the next sport. So we need formal competition. Um, if we put that aside and just say, hey, guys, we can make another 25 cents on the units by cheaping out on this or by eliminating tournaments or whatever and putting ourselves in the company first, then that's where we're going to get into some, uh, some trouble. Right. So you've grown to an immense amount of sales and a worldwide presence. How are you managing? And you're managing it all in-house. Why? Um, we've worked with a lot of agencies over the years, and we've found that they tend to be short-lived. Um, and I, that's not an indictment against the agency. I think we're probably just a high maintenance customer that, you know, we, you know, I think most people would hire the agency and they're, they're happy, whatever the task is, happy to give them all of it and then do it. But we've got weird ways of working. And I think we always kind of want to be reshifting and changing. And um, so we've kind of learned, you know, like with the ESPN stuff, like we started off working with a couple production houses to actually do the filming and do all that. And then we kind of realized, huh, we could probably do this on our own. And that's kind of what we're doing right now. Um, and so, yeah, doing it on our own, we could probably move faster if we worked with agencies. But I also like that by doing it in-house, that institutional knowledge is ours. We are learning. And if, it, if you always have a third party doing whatever it is for you, that knowledge is with them. And you need to keep paying them in order to get access to that knowledge. Um, 
So, yeah, yeah, and I don't know. I'm, I'm, we, we've been burned a couple times in the past. Nothing big, but um, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I have a hard time believing that somebody is going to know the spikeball world better than any of our team. Um, but always willing to take the call and listen. What do you like best about what you do? Um, I think, I guess for me personally, um, having, having the ability to make the decision, like when I wake up every day, I get to decide what I'm going to do. You know, I, I, I did 10, 12 years in the corporate world before spike ball and I never had that autonomy. I never had that control, um, to, yeah, really just make any decisions or have any sort of stake in the game. And, um, you know, we're really big on autonomy at Spikeball. We've got 31 employees, I believe now. Um, and whether, you know, this is your first job out of college or if you've been in the, the working world for 20 years, you've got a very long leash and you're going to be making decisions more or less on day one because, you know, we hired you because we think you're a pretty smart person. And, um, you know, a lot of the way I've managed the company is um, basically doing the opposite of what I learned and experienced in the corporate world. You know, nobody likes that boss walking up and always tapping you on the shoulder or did you fill out the report or all that kind of garbage. Like, let's just trust the employees and know that, you know, even if we can't see them, they're probably doing the right thing. And if they're not, then maybe that's on us because maybe we hired the wrong person. Um, you know, we've, we've got a, a remote workforce. So even before COVID hit, all of our employees work from home. So we've got employees that live all over the U.S. We've got two in the U.K. Um, and, you know, thankfully, we didn't have to do this big switch of, okay, everybody's going from headquarters to working from home. Um, and I've had friends tell me, like, oh, they're working from home. How do you know they're actually working? I'm like, because I trust them. And yeah, okay, of course, some of them may decide to sleep a little later on one day versus the next, but they're smart. They'll get their job done. If they want to sleep in till noon, if they can still get their job done and sleep in till noon, by all means, sleep in till noon. I don't care. <laughs> get the work done is what we really want. And we've never really had an issue with that. You know, of course, we've had to let some, some people go in the past, but that's a very, very rare thing for us. We've only had literally two employees quit in the history of the company, so... Uh, tells me we're doing something right. Right. Awesome. Well, for our viewers and listeners, this has been, we know your time's incredibly valuable. It's been Seth Green with Kevin Harrington with uh, special guest Chris Ruder of Spikeball. If you don't have Spikeball already, go to your local real retailer, go to Amazon, go somewhere and get, a, get it. It is very addictive. You will have lots of fun and become a part of the Spikeball culture. Chris, thanks so much for joining us. Absolutely. Thank you too. Great to meet you, Chris. Take care, man. All right. Thanks, guys. Stay safe. Thanks, everybody, Bye -bye. for watching and listening. We'll see you next time. Thank you. Do you need money to fund your idea, product, or service? Are you ready to take your business to the next level but need capital to get it done? Kevin Harrington has heard more than 50,000 pitches and knows how to help you make the perfect pitch to get the funding for your entrepreneurial dream. He's distilled the process down in his perfect pitch cheat sheet, and it's yours for free. Just text PITCH to him right now at 727-888-2100. Text PITCH to 727-888-2100 right now and claim your free perfect pitch cheat sheet. Text PITCH to 727-888-2100 to start funding your dream today. This show has been produced by Market Domination, LLC. 
To discover how you can have your own show completely done for you and turn it into a real published book and become the authority in your marketplace, go to www.marketdominationllc.com slash podcast offer. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.